Gratefulness lives in this intersectionality. We have to embrace, we have to look squarely at all the realities that are happening and choose to be grateful and to live gratefully into what we can anyway. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute, in which we interview people we call cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, asking each one of them our one question and all that seems to be going awry, what could possibly go right? And today's guest is Christy Nelson. Christy is the executive director of a network for grateful living and is also the author of Wake Up Grateful, the transformative practice of taking nothing for granted. Her life's work uh, in the nonprofit sector has focused on leading, inspiring, and strengthening organizations committed to progressive social and spiritual change. Christy worked with organizations such as the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, Spirit in Action, the Institute for Jewish Spirituality, Wisdom 2.0, the Center for Contemplative Mind in Society, among many others. She has been the founding director of the Soul of Money Institute with Lynn Twist, director of development at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health, and director of development and community relations for the Center for Mindfulness in Medicine, Healthcare, and Society. Christy received her BA from UMass Amherst and a graduate certificate in business and sociology from Boston College and her master's in public administration with a concentration in leadership studies from Harvard University. And now here's Christy. Welcome Christy Nelson to What Could Possibly Go Right. Uh, I think you know what we're looking for. It's not an analysis of what went wrong nor a prescription of what we should do to wriggle out of what went wrong, but rather to scan the landscape of what's ahead for us and tell us what possibilities you see emerging. Now, that landscape is littered with landmines, uh, the climate threat, the drumbeat of war, political polarization, competing claims on truth. Oh, and, and a pandemic that <laughs> seems like it will uh, end and accepting that COVID is with us for the long haul. You know, not to be a downer, but I wanted to presence that because you lead an organization dedicated to walking in this world with a grateful heart. Um, and I am um, sponsored by an organization that is deep into the complex um, unraveling, you know, the focus on energy and equity and, and environment and economy. You know, it's like, and I just told them like, there's another E called empathy. <laughs> There's got to be a way that the heart is involved in what's unfolding. So help us see how we can wake up grateful and wake up daily to what Zorba the Greek called the full catastrophe. Mm -hmm. So over to you, Christy, in the midst of all that seems to be going awry, what could possibly go right? What a great question. It's a big one, isn't it? I mean, I think that the question is not whether or not the heart makes sense in this, but how can we possibly live without coming from the heart? I think is it's not that the first four E's are not so incredibly significant and critical. It's that we have a choice about how we walk through these fires 
and what we're what our presence is going to be and what we're going to contribute to the conversation. And I've been around long enough and been a political activist long enough to be able to say that I think the conversations that are sustainable are the ones that are really interesting to me, how we can stick in there for these important drives to solutions and drives towards ways of being together that are really nourishing and uplifting. And we need that in the face of the fires. I don't think we need to, each of us need, doesn't need to burn as our own individual fire. Like we don't, we're not going to torch ourselves and, um, and stand in the middle and say, this is my concern. And then, and then burn to ashes. You know, I think that there's something here about saying, how do we embolden the heart? How do we live from that place as much as we can? And that that's not a passive way of being, it's actually an active and engaged way of being in the world. It's not about mm, apathy, it is about empathy, I would say, you know, so empathy, not apathy. And I think there's a lot right now where people are in a conversation that's either about the dire fire over here or the the positive possibility and i'm not really in either of those i feel like gratefulness lives in this intersectionality the intersection place the place where they come together that says we have to embrace we have to look squarely at all the realities that are happening and choose to be grateful and to live gratefully into what we can anyway in the midst of all of that knowing that that is what can propel us forward. That is what creates meaningful long-term change in so many ways that can activate us. <laughs> there's that a cat can, in the room. Yeah, there's a cat in the room. And um, it can activate us towards solutions, I think, in different ways, which is we look so much at what's missing. We look so much at what's wrong. What if we really focused on what is working in a way that's granular, in a way that's robust, not in a way that's pop psychology, positive psychology, spiritual bypassing, that toxic positivity stuff. It's not what we're about because how do you face squarely what's happening in the world and know it and name it and move forward full of heart anyway, in a way that is part of the solution, in a way that is an embodied expression of what the hell we might make out of what our world is right now. And to make a commitment to being that embodiment, to being that embodiment, knowing that the ripple effects of that are powerful and plentiful and that they can shift this reality that we're living inside of. And I think grateful living is, is really worthwhile living gratefully into all the things that we can live gratefully into knowing that it inspires us and catalyzes us to be part of a solution that's really needed. Wow. There's so much in this that you're <laughs> saying. Um, and one of the things that I, I've been thinking a lot about, uh, about polarization in this country and how um, if you, if you exit your tribe and agree with one thing that the other tribe believes mm. that you sort of enter a no man's land mm. or no woman's land or no person's land or whatever, you know? And, and so we have to be able 
Nobody has to do anything, first of all. But the opportunity is, is to develop the capacity f- for complexity. Totally. And, and it seems that uh, a grateful gaze surfaces mm. what is going right as a celebration and what is going awry with compassion, mm. not anger. You know, it's like, it's like I, I personally have been working on my own anger. It was sort of, I was inducted into that for four years of the former president is like every day in every way I was pissed. Um, and so I've been working on that. And, and, um, and what I realized is that in a state of anger, rejection of what is, I cannot see what is going on. I only see my anger. So the fact that I can quiet that reactivity for me has become like, I will be a better solutionary. Mm -hmm. I will be a better activist Mm because I can then see Mm -hmm. what's going on in complexity. So it's, I'm feeling like what you're describing is a way of being in the presence of what I call the full catastrophe to both take care of yourself, you know, to, to and it's, it's not defensive. It's like your heart wants to love, you know, mm-hmm. our hearts want to love. And by, by not allowing ourselves to love because the world out there is frightening, it hurts our own hearts. And also this other thing about standing in the in-between space. Mm-hmm. You're saying so many things that I want to respond to. I'm <laughs> trying to keep all of my, I want to just say, yay, you know, yes. And this is, it's so exciting to me because when you say like the grateful gaze, the grateful gaze allows the emergence of granularity in this way. So I just, that was so beautifully set up for me to say by what you're saying, because when you like, there's that beautiful saying, love is a long, close scrutiny, John Hawks, love is a long, close scrutiny. And we've stopped paying attention. Mm -hmm. I think we've started restricting our attention. We've become myopic. We look for what we agree with. We look for what agrees with us. We don't look to this greater universe, like the great fullness of life. Mm. Gratefulness is a place that makes room for the gratefulness of life for it all, recognizing that inside there, as you say, is the non-binary, is the non-duality. There, there's this place where paradox lives, where poignancy lives, where this kind of tender inquiry can live. And I think that the shared vulnerability the, the admitting of kind of our own susceptibilities and how linked they are. And in that, to be able to say, my commitment is to embracing complexity. Please challenge my thinking. Please open those, take the myopic blinders off. Help me make more space to understand in some ways. Knowing that right now for me to be cut off from the heart is one is the great source of suffering that's unacceptable in the end. 
And so, and yet I think we've taken our hearts and shrunk them down, like in the Wizard of Oz. It's like this little, you know, a little encrusted hard heart. And so for me, I want to be part of that long, close scrutiny of the world. I want to pay attention. I want to notice because also what happens, the filter filters everything. We don't notice the wonder and the beauty and the solutions to be a solutionist. That's a great term. I've never heard it before. And I love that to be a possibilist, right? To, we don't notice all of what's possible and what's, what's um, awe-inspiring when we've shut the heart down, we've shut our gaze down, we're in our myopic little narrow pathway and we're just seeking agreement. We're seeking that which agrees with us and which we agree with. So I am compelled by this notion and I know that living gratefully opens us to that granularity that makes space for more to be understood, more to be seen, more to be heard and more to be reckoned with. So I'm gonna push on this a little bit. Uh, Go just, for it. Just for the fun of it. Um, I know for myself, one of the barriers to spaciousness is the belief, um, supported by a lot of fact, <laughs> that if I give an inch, they'll take a mile. If I, by shifting from pointedness to spaciousness, I am giving a whole way of thinking embodied in a lot of very scary people, I'm giving them space mm. to take a further step towards who and what I love. Mm -hmm. You know, that I have to be a sentinel. I, I have to, I cannot let mm -hmm. my guard down. I used to feel this, you know, during that four years, you know, of like, I, I, I can't, I can't, I have to stay. I was like, you know, I felt like I was that, that, that uh, Japanese soldier that we always hear about who 20 years after the end of the, the war is discovered on an island maintaining his post. Yeah. Vigilance. It's called vigilance. Exactly. And, That's yeah. thank you for the right word for that. And so is it just generally a liberal thought, you know, that that we can be spacious and granular and grateful, even in the face of this Leviathan that we're living in? No, I don't <laughs> <Okay>. think so. <laughs> I, th I think um I think it's, and again, I don't want to buy into the polarities as much, like even in looking at this in a certain way, we fall prey because we don't even know it's the they and the us. And, and, right. and I'm, I'm going to say, you know, my own, my own politic, my own, where I land around issues and stuff. It's like, you know, I'm going to land in the same kinds of places as you, I really am. And, and this is so critical. And I, those four years, you know, that we want to talk about, how do we go through those four years and, not just survive because vigilance is also a really big cost on so many things. Like it's like, okay, I'm going to be the guardian at the gate and the sentinel and looking out and what have we afforded life and what have we cost life in that, in that posture. And it's not, there's not a lot that needs to be protected because I'm so invested in protecting the things that I care about most deeply. What I'm positing is the possibility that 
being grateful for what we value, like being really deeply connected to our values and what we're invested in protecting, staying true to that is sometimes a more um, sustainable or energized path of action or activism than looking at the things that we're against. So I'm just saying that rootedness in what is worthy of our gratefulness, the staying rooted in that place is, it's not a betrayal in any way of what it is that we are against or what concerns us because I can march with all different kinds of energy and I can march from all kinds of energy towards all kinds of energy. It looks the same on the outside, but what I'm saying is there's something about, about being grounded in that place of appreciating what we value so deeply and staying connected to that as the source that what we value thrives in the face of all the threats to it because we do not get disconnected from it. So it's just about a kind of different definition of what winning is, you know, and um, I know vigilance has cost me a ton in my life and hasn't necessarily gotten me very far. It feels like it does. It's like, you know, and there's something more in the Aikido about greeting and about being able to be responsive. And what is it that, so I said, staying connected to what, there's something that I said at one point that I just have to remember, staying connected to what brings me joy and what brings me into love and what I am grateful for is not a betrayal to my concerns for the world. It actually nourishes me to be able to sustain my relationship to those concerns. It invigorates my concern. It makes my concern more creative. And I challenge you or anybody to counter that. It's where we go home to the repositories of love in our lives. It's where we get nourished. What is it that kind of filling the well is not a betrayal to being concerned about the world. It actually allows us to carry on. And yet I can feel like I'm cheating on my, my <laughs> upset about the world by indulging joy, by noticing beauty, by prioritizing love. Does that make sense to you? It totally makes sense. I mean, I love that term cheating, like we're cheating on yeah. our politics. You know, We're kind of yeah. going around the back of our politics, you know, and, you know, I mean, when I, when I've been really head up, you know, it's, uh, I can be angry at the destruction of the um, Douglas fir in my area because of climate um, ignorance Mm -hmm. and not go out and be with the Douglas fir. Mm-hmm. If I'm too, if I'm too yeah. involved in the narrow focus of trying to right the wrongs and protect the trees that I love, mm. I can lose the daily nourishment of being with the trees that I love. And when I go and talk to the trees, just to be a little spacey, they're not concerned. Mm. <laughs> you know, they trees have been through many ups and downs and many fires and they don't have egos the way we have egos they're not 
you know, it, that's my experience of going out and talking to the trees. They, they have a, a degree of acceptance. Um, anyway, we're not going to go. What, uh, right. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, you took us there. So I will just say too, that sometimes if we listen, there may actually be a plea. There may be, we really mm -hmm. may hear from the earth and from its beautiful population, you know, springing up all over in various forms. We may hear that plea. How do we best respond to it? Right. And for me, the, one of the things that I've been fooled into thinking, I think, which is why I cheat on it when I prioritize love and joy, is that anger is the way that I show my allegiance. That, totally. And it's this, and what the irony is for me, and I think, and I do not mean this as like spiritual bypassing and, and toxic positivity. And we're so, we're so susceptible to this stuff, but I mean it as when I get separated from my heart, when I get into that place, I am so much less effective than when I am able to bring my heart with me, bring my joy, my sense of wonder, what's worth protecting, my awe, my, my um, you know, that kind of, that parental kind of um, fierce protectiveness mm -hmm. toward what it is that I love mm -hmm. is a really big energy that's sustainable protecting that fierce protection versus I'm, I'm at you. I'm after you. I'm pissed at you. I'm, you know, so that energy that's more outward. So I'm interested in bringing all of it with me for the sake of the good. Yeah. Fierce protection. That's definitely ferocity is one of my go-to mm. stances. The um, good one. Yeah. I have two other topics for, for you to riff on because what you're saying is so valuable. And I know that everybody listening is going to be like taking notes on this. Oh, um, no, really. So, um, and they're two biggies. Okay. So just okay, great. one is that another thing I realized, and I just know that I'm not getting therapy here. I just use myself as the example for every, you know, dumb act that you Grace. Yeah. Um, but I realized eventually that I, was reacting to the former president because I had lived with narcissists in the past. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's the thing about trauma, you know, mm -hmm. that there's pain from other circumstances that we're bringing mm -hmm. and that we're trying to solve through the, you know, because we're not resolved. We haven't forgiven. We haven't, we haven't even forgiven ourselves for putting ourselves through that, you know, sort mm -hmm. of like, mm -hmm. I think that's part of what, you know, what makes you vigilant about not letting your heart be touched. Mm. Um, and then the other piece, which is not exactly related, but is, is that I also think you're giving us some really good big sister advice about, mm. um, how to go through the unraveling of what we love, of, of a way of life that is perishing under the weight of a belief system, a mindset, you know, a set of practices. So there is another piece of this the, of gratefulness and grief. Mm 
mm. that the gratefulness somehow may be a way that we can walk into a future in which what we want to protect, we can't. That's so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, go deep. <laughs> don't, <shy. laughs> don't, don't be shy. Um, all right, those are two really big questions. So I'm gonna, the, the first one about re-traumatization, right? So that as we go through our lives and uh, it's like um, being able to, to pick up that stitch so readily that's, you know, it's like not far from the top of the, mm-hmm. what we're knitting. And it's like, it's always right there, ready to be picked up. And, you know, I find that with so much, you know, like I watched athlete a the other day, you know, this about abuse of these gymnasts, these young gymnasts by this, right. So it's like, and just how close to the surface that was. Right. And so, and how I can get activated by that. And I think four years under our former president was enough to keep a lot of us, just the grandiosity, the, all of what it was, that was exhibited. Any of us who have had experiences in life, the more intimate, the more likely to be the stitches close to the surface. Right. So I think, Yes, there's lots of opportunity to be re-traumatized these days. There's tons of it. It's really close. And that means we have to be doing our own work so much all the time, because when I'm in a re-traumatized state, I can tell you um, I'm, I'm not a solutionist at all. Uh, I'm in a re-traumatized state <laughs> and, that, mm-hmm. and that from that place, there's very little that gets activated in me. That's actually of service. So I will just say that. Mm-hmm. And, and yet I think for the first thing is recognizing and owning the susceptibility to the re-traumatization to actually own, to really just be right up front and say, I am really easily re-traumatized by stuff. So what I'm going to choose in the face of being already bulldozed and bulldogged by a political system that's got us in the state, what am I going to expose myself to further, right? As opposed to what am I going to bring in this a countervailing force? What am I going to bring in that's, that really helps balance that in my life too? Because we're in this all the time. It's insidious. It's amorphous. It's so constant. Mm-hmm. So, so those are things I think worth exploring is what are those countervailing forces that help us be able to, to be living in a traumatic time better. And then your second question, which was so good. And I'm just kind of spacing on it right now. Your second question. How does gratefulness assist us in living into a time when the things that we are trying to protect may be perishing? So what's the relationship between grief and gratefulness. Grief and gratefulness. It's such a great, thank you. Thank you for asking that question because they're so kin. They're so kin. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what I experienced so much in both personal grief and cultural grief, social grief, global grief, earth grief, is that sense of, you know, and Robin Wall Kimmerer talks about this Mm -hmm. all the time, which is we don't grieve the loss of that, which we're not grateful for. So to live, to be Mm -hmm. willing to live into a state, I think living in grief is actually naming the most powerful current reality that a lot of us are living in. Mm -hmm. 
is to say, this is a time of global grieving. This is a time of, of loss and reckoning with loss. And for me, just owning that and holding that close and being in a tender relationship with that and recognizing it helps me to be more patient when I, when I look around and I see that there's a lot of people who are easily activated, including myself, knowing that we're maxed up, that kind of insidious being filled up with stuff, that, that we are dealing with loss all the time, and yet we're not consciously aware of it. It's not like, and we're all, all of us who have suffered loss are in a reactivated, re-traumatized state around loss, the loss of so many things. And so then grief becomes just, I think this it's like a cloak that, that I feel like we're wearing a lot. And I'm trying to have that open my heart to greater compassion for myself, for people, for what we're all in together. And gratefulness is a beautiful countervailing force to that grief because I think it honors and recognizes the beauty and truth of what is being shifted. And it connects us again to that, that fierceness of wanting to live inside that which nourishes, that which is our inspiration, we can't do without. Um, and so I think there's also something so powerful about being thrust into the present moment in a way that is unapologetic about this is what we have now. We have no idea about the future. And the truth is if we don't live into the opportunities, as you said, that life is granting us right this moment. And we think, you know, okay, well, I'll relax when the world is this way. I'll go back to loving people more fully when the, this gets resolved, when this atrocity stops happening. I'll reconnect with my heart. I'll be more vulnerable. I'll be less fierce. I'll be less pissed. I'll be, you know, whatever it is. We're completely cutting ourselves off from life. And this day, and this moment, and this opportunity, which is all we ever have, and anything else is total illusion, in my mind, right. having faced stage four cancer, mm-hmm. you know, being a, a, an aggressive stage four cancer survivor, to be able to say, I'm aware of what that lives like to live under the mantle of impending impermanence (laughs) and how differently we can dance with that. We can dance with it. Like I am a pissed off sentinel or, and I think about sentinel nodes. Interesting. Cause I had lymphoma. So sentinel nodes in the body. So it's interesting. Like what do we do with our bodies, with our time, with our hearts, when we live in that place versus I've got this day this is the only day that I know that I have. Maybe this moment is the only moment I know that I have. How do I want to live this day? And that's a really important question because for me, living gratefully inspires me to live out loud. Mm -hmm. My heart, my passions, my concerns, when I live ungratefully, I completely lose this day, Vicki. I lose this moment. I lose all of what's available to us to make a difference. So for me, mortality, the truth of impermanence, all of those things are invigorate my aliveness today. 
-hmm. And that's all that we have really in the end. So I hold it close. I hold my, my knowing and my remembering and awareness of that very close because it is a life force mm -hmm. for me to stay close to death. Mm -hmm. And that's why grief and gratefulness go so close together as well. That's mm -hmm. mm, beautiful. I know that like when my partner died, I felt a grief that I had never felt. Mm. And it just felt, I, I almost, I, I almost didn't want it to go away because it mm. was so close to the bone. Exactly. Um, and then I, I had another romance and I, as I opened my heart, it was like grief was right there. It was like, as soon as, as soon as I love you, I, I know I will lose you totally. to death or to like, you know, misunderstand, whatever. And so it's like, it, they're so close together. And That's, so grief is the evidence of how much you love. Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> That's a, this is, do we have an amen? I mean, do we, do we have an a, a women? A women. I think that when you open the channel to the heart, you op you commit yourself to both grief and gratefulness. You commit yourself to love. Totally. You commit love is the commitment to all of it. And there is that recognition. Of course, it's like that, the tenuousness that that's what makes everything so exquisite and also so exquisitely painful mm -hmm. right in the moments. And when we're fully alive, isn't that what we feel when we're most fully alive? That's the, that's the kind of, vulnerability that I'm committed to living inside of knowing that it's the place where I'm connected with the greatest truth, mm -hmm. which is the vastness of the heart and the vastness of the grief at the same time. Mm. Well, that seems to be a beautiful summation, just like every other summation. Mm. Is there something that you'd like to wrap this up with, or do you feel that it has been said. I think it's been said. I rarely feel that, <laughs> but I think, I think for what this is in this moment and for what is here, I think that, I think it's really worth, no, okay, so I'll take it back. Okay. I think it's worth the path of, the exploration of what brings us most alive and what brings our hearts most alive and letting ourselves get in the way of joy, putting joy in our way, in other people's way, beauty, wonder, that which is enrapturing and awe-inspiring because our souls, our hearts are crying for it. Mm -hmm. And it does not compromise our capacity for effective action it might just fuel it. Wow. Every single sentence has been a homily. Mm -hmm. It's been like an Instagram, like quote. <laughs> Bumper sticker, baby. <laughs> Bumper sticker, baby. No, this is so rich. And I just, I know how troubled so many people are. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have opened up a lot of ways to, to be in this world as it is. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and acceptance and acceptance and acceptance and acceptance and acceptance and joy and joy and joy and joy. So thank you so much, Christy, for 
for thank you, Vicky. All of this, yeah. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.